Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle. What an insane show we had today. Not because the hood walked into his presser and slaughtered a couple of journos, but because Jeff in San Antonio, known to some of you only as the crier, called in from the delivery room before the birth of his daughter, Jordan. It was an amazing jungle moment, and you clones handled it exactly the way I expected you would. And we had three excellent guests, too. Stipe Miocic, the UFC heavyweight champ, came by. L.A. Chargers cornerback Trevor Williams was in studio. And on a much more serious note, Yahoo's Dan Wessel checked in after sitting through the sentencing hearing of Larry Nasser. Powerful, powerful conversation, and a very important one at that. Alvi, we've got lots to do. Let's get it started. The fact is, we still have about 10 days until the Super Bowl. 10 more days of all your storylines, your puff pieces, game analysis, a media day. Media day. Media day is great. Can I say about media day? I, I'm not that unhappy that I miss media day. I miss media day because I'm on the air every single year when media day happens. I made the mistake last year. And I'm not upset that I missed it because there's just so much nonsense that goes along with it. The circus that comes with it. I'm not upset that last year I sent my EP over there, Adam Hawk, who dropped this gem on Julio Jones. Hey, Julio, do you think Tom Brady's recovery sleepwear actually works? Uh, I don't know anything about sleepwear or what Tom Brady's doing when he sleeps. You know, normally if I would hear something like that in media day, I would just kill that guy. Except it was my guy. Hawk, don't be doing that. Don't be doing anything like that when we get to Minneapolis this year. I let that slide last year. It was a rookie move. Bad for you. Worse for me. Don't do it again. Or there won't be a third strike. Look, let me be straight. We know that's going to happen. However, with 10 days left, I was this close, this close to calling this thing yesterday. Because, well, I know that they do not award Lombardis the Wednesday before the Super Bowl, the hood was already in championship form. For 28 incredible minutes, the hood straight owned the microphone. And my man looked apart. He looked tight. Buttoned up shirt. Hair actually combed. No custom cut workout gear that he pulled out of the hamper. No triple XL sweatshirt. No. It was one man, one mic, and a whole slew of reporters, and the goat of the presser spitting straight fire. Bill, um, in the Super Bowls in the past, you guys haven't scored in the first quarter. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to remind you. Yeah. Um, but how, I mean, how, all the negative stuff in the Super Bowls we need to be aware of, too. <laughs> Um, how, how, how much do you, do you look at that history and this week and say, yeah. you know, do something? Like we try to it. score in every game. I know that's probably hard to understand, but like we try to go out and score and keep the other team from scoring. That's our goal every game. And do you, I mean, do you, would you put in any extra time or, or change anything just to to highlight that to the team and the importance of that this week? I mean, what's important is what happens this week against the Eagles. So. We're going to try to score. We're going to try to keep them from scoring. Boom! Reporter dead. Less than three minutes into this thing, and he's already calling the morgue. 
And that's a very well-respected reporter, a longtime Pats reporter, not some newbie on assignment trying to go man-to-man on the hood. You want to remind me, me, Bill Belichick, you want to remind me that my teams have not scored in the first quarter of the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, why don't I remind you that I've won five of these things and I'm locked in at number six right now. Hell, while I'm at it, I think I'll break down the rules of the sport as originally imagined by Walter Camp. I know it's probably hard for you to understand, but questions like that are going to get answers like that. Where I talk down to you like you're some toddler who doesn't understand the general parameters under which our sport is played. But if the death of Mike Reese was not good enough, the Hood was then asked about the status of Rob Gronkowski, who the Pats had finally confirmed was in concussion protocol, and he was asked to expand on that fact pattern. The Hood instead reached across the podium and ripped right through the reporter's chest. Can you give us an update on uh, Rob Gronkowski? Has he finished his concussion protocol? Do you expect him to play? Yeah, we'll be compliant with the NFL injury report. and When that's required, we'll put it on. Is it, when is that process completed, finished? When's what process finished? The concussion report, the... Uh... Whatever, the, whatever his situation is, whatever his status is, we'll put it on the injury report. We'll make sure to the first one to get it. I'm sure you will. Do you expect yeah, him to not, play? not a problem. Do you expect him to play? We'll put it right on the injury report, and that's what we're going to do. Like everybody else does. Well, make sure you're first on the list too, Stacey. Thank you. I appreciate it. I don't want to hold anything back here. Get that out there right I know, away. I know. I know. You don't. That's all we can do. Like the kids say, cringy. My 16-year-old sounds like that. Hey, Dad. Cringy. That that is seriously awkward and cringy. I mean, the hood's basically flaying, dudes in an open press gathering, then offering him the first copy off the printer and hits him with, that's all we can do. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. I mean, that that's went about as well as Ellis walking into Hans's office in Nakatomi. Hey, business is business. You use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? That's all we can do. I mean, part of me does respect the job. I'm in the media. We all have a job to do. Part of me respects the hubris of a reporter who actually thought that he would get the hood to actually tell him whether or not Gronk was going to play, to actually get a status report and an update on a guy with a concussion, allegedly. I mean, especially since they turned that cut thumb into a state secret. Like the hood. The hood is going to start projecting brain injuries 10 days out from game day. Now it's only going to get better. Hey, listen, I'm on their side because I'm one of them, but what do you expect? What do you think this guy's going to do? It's only going to get better because we've got another entire week of this sort of thing. I mean, there's a chance that Bill Belichick, the supreme red ass of all things football, is going to have to do a presser next week in America's largest shopping mall. You got to think the hood's going to love chopping things up across the atrium from Hot Topic and right around the corner from that chiropractor kiosk. If that's how that goes down. Again, you don't win a Super Bowl the Wednesday before the big game, but the hood nearly ripped number six yesterday with that Hall of Fame press performance. I've never seen guys more awkward. I've never seen guys more uncomfortable. I've never seen professionals, grown bleed people, stammering over themselves. This guy revels in it. I wonder if they go back to the facility after that and they just watch it. 
I wonder if he gets the whole team together. Like, hey, hey, guys, check this out. Watch this. Look how I did this guy. Look what I did to them today. I mean, that is seriously cringeworthy and awkward. Stipe Miacic is my guest. Stipe, good to have you back. How are you? Good, good. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to have you. Listen, coming into that fight, everybody was talking about your opponent's punching power. They were not talking about you as much. What did you make of that? Did it offend you or did it motivate you? I definitely felt a little disrespected. But, I mean, the dude has power. You know, he, uh, he's a big man. And, you know, the people are trying to grasp onto something new. All right, so dude does have power, but you took his best shots. How powerful then were those punches? And then what's it say about you that not only were you able to withstand them, but you went on to dominate that fight? Oh, uh, yeah, you know, he, <laughs> they don't feel good. I mean, my face still shows a little bit. He come with a good uppercut in the first round, which uh, gave me a, a good mouse on my eye. But, uh, you know, he's a strong guy. I mean, you look at him, he's a monster. You know, it'll be tough. You know, it keeps working. It'll, it'll get a lot better. Now, he did come out strong in the first round, and he landed, like you point out. But he started to look winded in the second round. Well, Steve, easy for me to say. But I know you're not going to relax and let your guard down. But did you notice him starting to tire? And at that point, did you know you had him? Yeah, I mean, it, it, in the heavyweight division, anything can happen. You know, even if he tired, there's still that puncher's chance, especially with him with all that power he's got. And, I, you know, I just wanted to drain his energy and just keep going hard and keep working him and, you know, exhaust him. You know, that's what I did. Yeah, so go back to that point that you said you felt a little bit disrespected coming in because he came into that fight with a lot of hype. And from the outside, it seems like there was that disrespect you're talking about. And then even there was a sense that maybe folks wanted him to win so it could be the start of a new era you dominate the fight. You end his hype. Is there any part of you now that wants to say, where are all you people now? What do you have to say now? And how do you like me now? Uh, no, I, I don't care. I got other things to worry about. <laughs> you know, I've got to go home and clean the house. I got a baby on the way. So I to get that situated. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just happy to you know, do my job, go out there and be able to take care of my family. I respect it. You don't run on that kind of fuel. The Daily Jungle is brought to you by Kalo. Kalo Rings, now one of our sponsors. They're made from silicone, and they are perfect for when you can't wear your traditional wedding rings. I see athletes, military members, and construction workers, even mechanics, all wearing them. You can find one in every color, and they have them both for men and for women. Find them at Dick Sporting Goods, Bass Pro Shops, Academy Sports, or online at Kalo.com. That's Q-A-L-O.com. The Daily Jungle is also brought to you by America's Best Racing. America's Best Racing, the website and app. Their app is updated. It's better, it's faster, and it's offering new prizes, including the grand prize of a million dollars. Search for Stay Lucky in the App Store and download it. The app is free, it's easy to download, and it's free to play. You don't even have to leave home. Play in your living room, your car, your office, wherever. Build a winning streak and win prizes. Pick 20 consecutive winners and you can win a million bucks. Horse racing fans, you know this sound. Now get ready. Now get to know their app. In the App Store, it's called Stay Lucky. Search and download it today. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Stipe Miocic joining us. Okay, with that win, though, you set the record for most consecutive heavyweight title defenses. What about that record? What's that mark mean to you? Oh, it means a lot. You know, it shows that uh, not just me, but my coaches and and everyone that stood behind me and sacrificed so much to be with me, you know, it's not just me, it's all of us, you know, my coaches, my wife, my family, my friends, everyone that stuck by me, and, you know, dug down deep with me into the hard times. And it just shows that you know, we, we, we've done it, man. We're, 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 you know, we're not done yet, but, you know, we, we've done so much and it just, you know, I'm, I'm blessed.
You know, in terms of not being done yet, you also posted this awesome pic on Twitter with you in front of your trophy cabinet. It's got four belts in it and the caption, break the record once. Nah, I still got shelf space. Who's next? So when you look at that cabinet and you see the four belts, what kind of thoughts do you have? And then who is next? Uh, you know, I'm different. You know, I look at that cabinet. I think about my buddy who did it for me. I'm like, that's a nice cabinet. He did a great job. You know, great carpentry, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know who's next. Um, I'm just, you know, I, it was my manager made me take that picture. You know, I don't like gloating about my stuff. But, you know, you know, why not? And so I did it. But, uh, you, know, I, you know, I just. It's nice to see, you know, just all the hard work, you know, I just, I want to make my mom proud, my dad proud, and just uh, show him that, you know, you raise a son that, you know, does what he's got, he's got to do to be, you know, give it 100% and do good in life. Yeah, I'll be clear about that, that when you look at that cabinet and you see the four trophies, you actually look at the cabinet and you see the woodwork and the craftsmanship and the fact that a friend did it and the manager thought it might be a good idea for you to take that pick. You know, it, it's really something. And you go back to that point about, look, I got things to worry about. I've got a baby on the way. I've got a family. Fact is, you said, I'm a normal Midwest boy that loves to fight and loves to win and is a fireman. Is there not, Stevie, I should know better than to ask you this, but is there not any part of you, any temptation to shake it up and maybe live the high life for just a couple of moments? You're the heavyweight champ. You defended that belt. You could do anything. Do you want to shake it up at all, or does that just not interest you? Well, I mean, I, listen, I have my fun. You know, I, I definitely keep cool stuff with the, you know, from the fruits of my labor. Um, but I don't. I don't need a you know a bad a bad, sweet car. I don't need like a massive. Like I have a big house. You know, you know, big enough for me, and my wife, and we have a lot of land, which I wanted. Um, you know, I drive a truck and I love it. You know, I don't. I don't need a sweet car. Like if someone gives me a car, I listen. I take it. There's no question. But I'm not going to go out of my way and buy it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have nice, I have nice and nice clothes, and you know, I'm just a normal guy, man. I don't. I don't need anything. You know, I'm. I'm very frugal when it comes to my money. You know, I want to make sure that my wife's taken care of now, our baby. And I just want to make sure you know, our bills are paid for, and that's all I care about. There you go. L- land is good. Land is good. So what do you do with the land? Nothing. I just stare. No one's around me, so I just stare. Yeah, <laughs> man. Which space. Is the best thing I've ever I, I purchased. <laughs> space is good. Space is good. All right, so you don't need to be working as a fireman, but how much does that job and the friendships that you have and the camaraderie you have with your fellow firemen help to creep, keep you balanced and grounded? Uh, you know, I'm a real diva there, though. I'm so I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, no, um, it, honestly, uh, I'm at two departments that are amazing. Uh, you know, I'm at Oakwood and Valley View, and those two departments, those chiefs, they uh, they put up a lot of me. You know, because I, I'm sometimes I'm not in town, and I have to call off a trade of shift, and and they they they, they understand it, and they, and I, I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm, if I was at a different department, I probably don't know if I would be as lucky. But I you know, meeting those and all the guys I'm with, they come to my fights, they text me, they call me, how you feeling, you ready, you know, and then but the sucky part is when I get done with the fight and I come home and go back to work, they, you know, hand me a plunger and they're like, All right, well, back to work. <laughs> That's great. Listen, is it true also that you once went on a call and there was an eighty year old guy with a twelve inch cut in his leg oh. from a chainsaw and this dude wasn't even writhing in pain. He was like, It hurts a little, it kinda sucks. Is that how that went? And then how did you handle that? Yeah, it was actually his arm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and he was singing. I'm not forgetting. He walk up and he's singing a golf cart, and he's like, "Yeah, it's my arm." And I, he takes the, the rag off of it. I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like I cringed, and I was like, "Oh my god!" It looked like a, it looked like a, like a like a like a horror movie. And uh, he's like, ah, "It hurts a little bit." And then I asked him about what kept it an IV in his other arm. <laughs> he's like, "That's gonna hurt." I'm like, "Bro, you really have like this massive gash in your arm." <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah, it was just, it, it was crazy. And I just, I give that guy respect too, man. He just, he just took like a champ. 
Different generation, right? Different generation. Right. I, I can't even believe the ability of that generation or the, uh, the tolerance of pain and what they can endure. Man, it makes the rest of us feel so soft. Because yeah, we are. I, mean, honestly, I, I love it. I, I love that from mentality. You know, I just, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I look at it. You know, sometimes, you know, things don't go away or you get hurt a certain way. But if it doesn't kill you, you know, you got to work and get better and heal up and you'll be fine. After that win, you declared, quote, I'm not the scariest, but I am the baddest, end quote. Lay it out for me. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, people are just talking about he's the scariest heavyweight in the division, scariest man on the planet, but I am the baddest. You know, that's why I said it. And, uh, you know, I, I defended the belt three times, you know, and, this is why you made it clear. That's all. We had a phone call from San Antonio. It was Jeff in San Antonio. You know that name. Jeff in San Antonio called the program. He was pretty emotional because his fiance at that time was five months pregnant. And it got more and more emotional as he detailed what he was looking at, what was in front of him. You might remember this call. I wanted to let you know that you know when you find the one for you, and it's really simple. And when she told me that we were going to name our girl, Jordan after 45 I knew she was the one and she picked the name out not me I'm the biggest Jordan honk that you can imagine but I absolutely owe so much of where I've been in life to listening to your show and I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday and knock them dead like you always do and I want you to know that you're doing it right and I want to leave you with this the last thing that I can ever remember that really moved me in a way on your show was when I think it was Silk called and really kind of gave you props for having a, a morality and ethics show disguised as a sports show because it's obvious that that's what you set out to do a long time ago and you're not going to compromise it. So you haven't been giving yourself enough credit lately. And the last thing that I want to say is lexicon means a lot. I've got the fiance starting to hate the word, allegedly. So props to you and knock them dead, Rome. War the San Antonio Spurs. War me and my fiance. And war Jordan. Out. My man. That was Jeff in San Antonio. Clones, do the math. That was for my birthday in October. She was five months pregnant. We go now to the hospital. It's going down right now. And he made the phone call. Jeff in San Antonio. Brother, you're on the air. You're moments away. What's up? How you feeling? Take me through this. Well, first of all, Rome, you, you've got the tears welling up in my eyes again every time I hear that call. Like it just kind of takes me back to that point in time, man. So, it's just just awesome. Like I, trying to describe the emotion would be impossible. But I know that me and, and my fiance are super thrilled to be parents. We are super excited, and we couldn't have asked for anything better than to find each other. And to be able to bring, you know, a child into this world. Um, the only downside is that Jordan, who is absolutely named after MJ, um, isn't going to be born on February 3rd, 2-3. We had to move her delivery date up about a week early. But we have one of the best doctors in town, and we're just, we're hyped. Like, it is going down. I've got the nurses trying to find me landline so I can talk to you reliably. Like, I'm a made man in this hospital. I'm a made man in the jungle. And I'm about to be a dad. So, I mean, hey, it, it, it's great, man. It's, a, it's just an awesome, awesome feeling right now. My man, you're a made man on this planet. That's incredible that Jordan's doctor be born on 2-3 or even 4-5. So you have a scheduled C-section scheduled for when exactly? Uh, Ten minutes. <laughs> Doctor's supposed to be coming in at noon. So I told the doctor, hey, you chill out, man. I got to call Jim Rome. So 
I'm out here in the hallway and, uh, you know, just talking to my boy, talking to Rome, you know, making sure that the important things in this world are taken care of. Jeff, how, 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 does, how, how did the doctor respond when you said, now, hold up, doc, I got to talk to my guy, Rome, and how did the fiancé take that? When well, Let's just put this proceeding on hold for a minute. I need to do my jungle duty. How did that go with all of them at the hospital? Oh, uh, the nurses were awesome, you know, but they don't have to live with me, so I'm just kind of like a sideshow to them, I'm sure, but... <laughs> The fiance, I mean, she, she knows the gig. You know, she's stuck with me through a lot worse than this. So she kind of rolled her eyes and just kind of re- realized that it's the law of the land and that the irony is heavy, that, of course, I'm neglecting her needs at, you know, a critical time in our life to go talk to a dude on the phone on a radio show. So, you know, my priorities are very much in order. I'll tell you what, Jeff, I don't know if it's going to help, but uh, we actually have a gift for you. Maybe this will make her feel better. A master-built smoker for the best content of the day because there's no way anybody else is going to call from the hospital before a scheduled C-section. The smoker is yours. So you guys can definitely start Baby Jordan's life off with a brand-new smoker. Hope that helps. That's awesome, Rome. I mean, it kind of makes up for all those years ago where, you know, some guy stole the sling box away from me when I got the huge call. So I appreciate it. You paid me back all these years later with a little bit of interest. I'll leave you with this. In, in honor of my, you know, uh, loyalty to the jungle, um, haven't even run this by the fiancé, but, you know, I am the man in the relationship, and I wear the pants. We're going to name her middle name after yours. She's getting pterodactyl for the middle name. You're going to name baby Jordan, Jordan Pterodactyl. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you got it. Bro, I got to see that on the, uh, I, I got to see that on paper to see if that's going to go through. But we'll see. Jeff, all I can say to you, it is go time. Go get them. War you and your fiance, and most of all, war Jordan. Yeah, couldn't say anything better than myself, Rome. Um, first picture with the baby is going to be me wearing my Jordan 45 jersey to tie it all together. So thanks for everything, man. You've been a huge figure in my life. The show has been amazing to me getting me through many different stages and it's just awesome to be able to contribute and for you to be around all these years later um congratulations for all your accomplishments and your family and all that stuff too because i know that means a lot to you and your brand and here i go starting to cry again but i'm gonna let you go doctor's here and we're about to have a girl go get it brother go get it it's gonna be the best day of your life go get it and whatever you do do not look at that c-section all right jeff jeff in san antonio He made the call. Again, he had to do it. Do the math. Five months later, he made that first call, that legendary call, in October to wish me a happy birthday. And he told us at that time that his fiance was pregnant with baby Jordan. And that's when he choked up the first time when he said it was her. It was her idea to name the baby Jordan because he was the biggest Jordan honk ever. I love the fact that he said that we tried to have that baby born on 2-3, but it didn't happen. So we have to go scheduled C-section on one twenty-five. So obviously four or five was out of the question. All right, clones, go time for Jeff and go time for you. (laughs) Jeff, here's my advice. Let me first say this. I have your back, but it's seemingly you and me against all of Twitter. So my advice to you, do not look at the C-section. I've already told that story. When we had Jake, Janet had a terrible terrible day of labor i mean literally like 28 hours of labor the baby was breached it was a nightmare so they cut janet we went c-section 
And what the great thing about the C-section is once you do it, it's done, man. Bam. Five minutes, you're done. 28 hours turned into five minutes. It was awesome. The bad thing about the C-section, don't you look at that. I thought that I was not a good husband unless I did look. I could never unsee what I saw. Jeff, do not look at that. Two things, Jeff. Do not look at the C-section and do not look at Twitter because you will never, ever be able to unsee either of those things. Do not look at the C-section. Do not look at Twitter. Let's see, but I can. It's my job to look at Twitter. Steve PHX tweets. Ask Jeff if he's going to have any more kids or get his tubes tied. Here's a common theme, a common thread already. Salty Sarah has had children. She knows. Sarah Team Providence tweets, Jeff's water just broke. Why do you got to be like that? Why do you got to be like that? Here's a guy saying, hey, Rome, you're my dude. You're my guy. This is my show. You've got me through some tough times. I understand this. I, you know, not everybody comes on the air with this, but because I do this every single day or at least five days a week, and I've done it for so long, everybody in their life, me, you, Jeff, you, Sarah, I would imagine, we all go through extremely challenging times. That's life. Like, you want to be as optimistic and positive as possible, but know this, something bad is right down the road. And not necessarily because of any choice you've made, something challenging is going to happen. And I hear this a lot. Hey, Rome, thanks for being there. Thanks for being... Somebody could provide me with a sense of normalcy. Thanks for giving me something to laugh at. Thanks for giving me something to argue with you about. Thanks for taking my mind off what I was dealing with. So that's what I'm getting from this guy. And then on top of that, he's sharing like the greatest thing in his life. He found his soulmate. He and his soulmate are having a baby. Only you clones could wreck something like that. Take something so beautiful and wreck it. Drive it into the ground. Kill a guy. What, for being in love with his fiance? And for having a baby and sharing it with us. Why wouldn't he share that with us? He told us what it was like five months in, and now it's the day of. So keep that in mind before you thumb out your hate. Let's see. At Garland010 tweets, Jeff's fiance has got to be flaming mad right now. What an idiot. I am skeptical of one thing. There's no way he's going to name that kid Pterodactyl. And that was another great jungle bit from back in the day. At Radom 27, isn't 12 Woods supposed to scope this? <laughs> that is part of his brand. At Tony Wingdog 72, congrats to Jeff in San Antonio. <laughs> War having your priorities in order. It's like he had to check the doctor. He had to check his fiance. Hey, I'll get to all that. I'll get to y'all. Hey, everybody, relax. I got to call my boy. Hey, everybody relax. Excuse me, nurse, nurse, we're not getting coverage in here. Can somebody get me a hard line? Stat, I need to call my boy. Rain St. Paul tweets, prop bet, who cries more in the next 24 hours, Jeff or Jordan? I'm betting heavy on Jeff. Here I go, starting to cry again. Hey, respect, brother. He knew he'd cry and he still called. Brother. At Eric Grand Rapidian, he tweets, There is so much to unload on that Jeff in San Antonio call that I can't decide which part to rip. What a kook. Y'all must have better things to do than kill this guy. I know I do. 
I know none of you do, but I know I do. I'm a made man in the jungle. You are, Jeff. You are, bro. You are a made man in the jungle. At Bleeds Iron tweets, Hey, Jim, can you ask Jeff in San Antonio if he also cried during <laughs> during Jordan's conception? Thanks in advance. <laughs> hey, Elton Kim, John Un. That's what this guy's name is. Yeah, yeah, I can, but I'm not going to. At D-Rod2203, he tweets, Who told this D-bag he's a made guy in the jungle? I'm a made man in the jungle. He is, D-Rod. He is. It's most, one of the most legendary calls ever. I'm going to say that the first call was top 10 in the history of the show. He's a made guy. He is most definitely a made guy. Dan Wetzel is my guest. Dan, nice to have you back on. How are you? I'm good, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Dan, thank you for doing it. Appreciate it. Now you've been covering the Larry Nassar sentencing hearing. Before we get into the details, what was it like for you to be there and hear the impact statements from the women whom he assaulted? Well, it was, uh, it was pretty incredible. Um, it's tragic, uh, sad. There were times he choked up. Um, heartbreaking stories. Informative. Uh, it was also powerful to watch watch these these women and these girls kind of face them, take take down their guy, and uh, um, find some kind of comfort. Hopefully, long stand long term. Uh, it was amazing. I, I'll just the other day there was a 15 year old girl, Jim, who got up there, and you think she's a you know whatever high school sophomore maybe. High school sophomore has got to go give a presentation in a history class would be nervous. Uh, this is a kid who's got to talk about the worst thing that ever happened to her in front of the guy who did it, in front of a judge, in front of 150 people, and in front of 12 to 15 television cameras and a bunch of media. And she's shaking her hands, you know, the paper she's reading on, and her voice is cracking, and her mother's got her hand on her back as, like, support. And to watch a kid like that, the courage to do that, just mind-blowing to watch. I mean, just unbelievable. I, I'll, ne- I'll never forget those scenes and the fact that it was 168 of them. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it just was an incredible scene. I really recommend anybody listening to watch some of them on the Internet. You'll be moved. You'll learn stuff. Like, I know... You have a diverse audience. Women listen to the show. I hear the callers. But there's a lot of guys listening. There's a lot of dads like me. And you'll learn something listening to this on how to protect your kids. Because guys don't get together and talk about this stuff. We talk about football. But it's really important for us because you want to protect your family. And you will get something out of this. I recommend it. It's not easy. It's not fun. But it'll stick with you. and, And maybe you can help prevent this in the future dan wetzel joining us he's a yahoo sports columnist he's also a new york times best-selling author dan for those who might and i would imagine everybody does but if for some reason they don't know what was larry nasser's role at michigan state and in usa gymnastics well he was a doctor who worked for michigan state in their sports um uh, sports program and, and basically at michigan state he would treat some michigan state athletes but he would uh, he would get referrals from kids in the community and basically the Lansing or even all over the state of Michigan. And so girls would come in 
injured a lot of gymnasts, but also soccer players and volleyball players and things. They come in, he got a hip injury, then you get referred to Larry Nasser and he would treat you. Um, and that was part of the tragedy because parents would gleefully drive their kids to this thing thinking, my God, we have the Olympic doctor who's going to look at my 12-year-old who is in a tumbling class. As much, as much focus as there is on, as, and there should be on the Alley Racemans and the Simone Biles, most of these kids were just regular kids. They were not elite athletes. So you had that role, and he was abusing hundreds of these girls. His ability to just, he didn't have to seek out. He was a predator. who did, They came to him and trusted him because he was the doctor. And his office walls were, yeah, you know, he, there's a picture of him helping Carrie Strug down from the, from the mat on that famous jump where she, you know, landed with one foot. You know, there, there he is with this smiling gymnast. Everybody trusted him because of that. He draped himself in red, white, and blue. And then for USA Gymnastics, I find their culpability even worse on this because he was the, he was the national team doctor. They would have training camps. He would treat everyone. And he, he named it, he made it mandatory to have treatment from him. And these women and these girls could not say no to the treatment. And he could treat them alone at night in their dorm room at the Caroli Ranch in Texas, alone in their hotel room at, at events. And so he's molesting these girls the night before the London Olympics at the training camps. And many of them talk about the culture of gymnastics and the competitiveness of USA Gymnastics. You don't complain. You don't speak up. And, and the treatments didn't seem right to some of them, but they didn't know what to do. He's the doctor. He's saying this is how you do it. And so it was this perfect storm of his ability to manipulate everything, including the victims, and, uh, and just this literal reign of terror that devastates not only the kids but their families, coaches that referred to him, other doctors. And you know, so many people feel so much guilt. We had a parent, daughter told him once, the dad didn't believe it. When it came out true, he commits suicide. He's so guilt-ridden. You know, the stories are just just incredible that came out of this thing. I mean, literally some of the worst things ever that you could ever possibly hear. Dan Wetzel joining us, the Yahoo Sports columnist. Dan, in her statement, Michaela Maroney was talking about how there were red flags for everybody to see, from Michigan State to USA Gymnastics and the USOC. Why did they not see them, or did they see them and choose to ignore them? You know, yesterday a woman, Rachel Den Hollander, spoke and said, I thought she had an interesting line on this. She said, you didn't believe because you didn't listen. And I think that's an important distinction. I, 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 the one thing I think we should all hesitate is to just paint, you know, Luana K. Simon, the Michigan State doc, uh, president, is just a monster who just allowed this to happen. Or the USA Gymnastics head is just a monster who let this happen. I have a very, very, very hard time believing any person in this country would sit there and say, oh, I know Larry Nassar's molesting children and I don't care. That, that isn't it. And when we believe that, it actually is dangerous because it creates the vacuum in which a, the, the, there's another Nassar right now somewhere, just like there's another Sandusky, and another and another. And, and when you do that, you, you make it like, well, I'm not, I'm not evil like that. Good people make mistakes here by not listening, or they, they, it just gets out of control. You know, unfortunately, we have not had a full investigation of USA Gymnastics, and I don't know what we will at this point. 
because very few people are going to talk. The Michigan Attorney General never investigated Michigan State the way the Pennsylvania Attorney General did Penn State. So we don't have all the answers on what happened. We need them, but it may be too late to get the full thing. So I don't know why they allowed it, but I agree with Maroney. What do you mean a male doctor gets to walk into her dorm room at night and treat her after hours alone? How? Who, who heard that and allowed it? What's the thinking? That's what you want to know. That to me, yes, is that a red flag? It's ridiculous. Why, why was there mandatory treatment for girls but not boys? You know, what, what, what is mandatory treatment? What about the culture of the gymnastics where it's so competitive that you can't speak up because you might be labeled the bad actor? You know, gymnastics, it's the, the, the coach chooses the team. We got 50 girls that can win a medal. We're loaded. So I can pick someone else. You have to comply to what you have to make yourself seen to the coaches like you're the one that will fight through pain, and you're the one that won't complain. You know, if it's another sport, Michael Phelps could sit there and be the worst person on earth and teammate, and he could call out his coaches every day. You get in the pool, you win the race. You don't have that in this sport. So, and, and many of the, the victims talked about this, and there's so many angles to this thing. And, again, it's, it's not as easy as Luana K. Simon's horrible or uh, Perry from USA Gymnastics is horrible. He, he finds the crevices and, and, and beats us all at it. And that's, that's what's so scary about it. But we need a real, real look at all the angles to try to limit guys like Nasser who are, who are thinking about how to beat the system every day when no one else is thinking about the system. Dan Wessel joining me for a few more moments. That's what predators do. They find a way. They find those crevices. You know, last week he wrote a letter to the judge saying, in essence, that hearing the impact statements from the people he abused was too much. And he was questioning his own, quote, ability to be able to face witnesses these next four days mentally. End quote. What did the judge and the courtroom make of that? <laughs> uh, well, they yell, everyone yelled at him, shouted. Um, Larry Nasser is a coward of the greatest degree. He just, I, I don't know other word. Not only as a coward that would abuse little girls, or a coward that would hide it, or a coward would try to manipulate parents and kids to believe in that what was going on was actual medical treatment. But a coward that can't face it. You're caught, sit there, shut the hell up, and listen to every damn word of it, and then get up and apologize. Instead, he was still holding on to this idea, oh, this was, it's all overblown, it's being sensationalized, you know. But he wouldn't say that to their face. He'd write a little letter, but to their face, he tried to act like he was kind of sorry and all that. He's just the worst. The guy is the absolute worst. I've, I've covered murder trials. I've covered, I've covered Sandusky. I've covered dogfighting. I've covered all sorts of trials. I never wanted to climb over the bar and just smack a guy. I mean, it's, it's just the absolute worst. And he'd sit there. He'd slump over. Like, it's just too hard on me to hear. Wouldn't shave. And it's like, it's just, I, 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 just, I literally nothing to say about the guy that could be positive right now. Dan, one last thought. You mentioned Sandusky. You covered that case at Penn State as well as anybody could. How would you compare and contrast the two cases and then the responses to them? So to me, the, the similarities between the two cases are that both Sandusky and Nassar were able to utilize their positions 
to gain trust that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Um, they're, they're similar cases, but, but not the same in any way. Sandusky was able to become the supposed coach and mentor to just regular boys because he had been this celebrated Penn State football coach. Like a 60-year-old guy comes and says, hey, let me take your son for the day and uh, we'll go work out and uh, we'll hang out together. He would be like, "That's what are you talking about? But because he was Jerry Sandusky from, from Penn State, he would get these troubled kids. A lot of them didn't have fathers, and the mother would say, okay, and they'd go work out. Nasser had the same thing with USA Gym. Like I said, he had, you know, look at the pictures on the wall. I'm, I'm, I'm the red, white, and blue. I'm the Michigan State, green and white. And, and you trusted him because of that. So they were able to use that. That's the one similarity. The responses were, again, I think, for Michigan State and Penn State, a, a series of failures to, to see it. Now, Penn State, I, at this point, has far – we have more information because the Attorney General of Pennsylvania actually investigated this, where the Michigan one sat on the sideline. So we know in Penn State that there was initial police investigation in the Sandusky in 98 about showering with a boy alone. And they did not charge him. But Penn State knew about it, and it's a, obviously would be a massive red flag if you heard about a guy showering alone with a boy, and the boy says something happened. Now, maybe you can't, maybe you can't convict him, but you have a huge red flag. Three years later, Mike McQuarrie comes in and says, I saw Sandusky in the shower with a boy, and I think they're having uh, you know, a sexual position. At that point, to me, there's no more, I'm not sure what's going on here. It's call every single authority you can. Because it doesn't happen twice. It really doesn't happen once. But it really, really doesn't happen twice. We don't have that quite with Michigan State because we don't have the information. Hopefully we will get it uh, if there is that culpability. But it's a lot of, I think, otherwise decent people, smart people, educated people making small mistakes, and it all just builds up. Nobody just kind of stepping up and saying, I've got to stop this, or I've got to look harder, or I'm willing to do the really hard thing here and accuse a guy of child sexual assault. Because the allegation obviously carries so much weight that that alone can be a punishment. And if you're falsely accused of that, I would, you know, obviously that would be devastating. But right now we give a little bit too much to I'm fearful of the false allegation, and you have it over and over. Everyone's fearful of the false allegation. And the true one just goes on and on and on. Trevor Williams joins me. Trevor, good morning. What's up? How are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you doing? Good, good. Really good to see you. You know, the regular season may not have ended the way that you would have liked. So let me ask you this first. Is it a disappointment or when you look back on it and how the season started and the way you guys turned it around, do you feel like you've taken some positives from it? In other words, how do you see the whole season? Uh, I think for us, it was a bittersweet feeling. Um, We did a lot better than we did the year before and even the year before that. And just for us to, to finish out on the win against a conference opponent, I think that's a lot of momentum for us heading into the next season. Now, it would have been really easy for that team to rip apart when you started the season 0-4, but you didn't. How were you able to stay together as a team and a unit and completely turn things around? Uh, you know, we signed up for a 16-game season, and it's a long season, and I was fortunate enough to you know be around a great group of guys, um, Phillip Rivers, Antonio Gates, you know, they're great leaders for our team, and they've been around the program for a long time. And I think they did a great job, even the coaches. Everyone just did a great job just keeping us together and keeping us, you know, poised and 
you know, through the fire. Now, to that point, Philip Rivers came on the show, and he gave a lot of credit to that turnaround to head coach Anthony Lynn. What was your first year like with him, and what's it like to play for him? Uh, I like playing for Coach Lynn. Uh, he inspires he inspires me a lot. Um, great leader for us. Uh, he just came he came in, you know, with the right mindset. You know, getting this program back on the right track and. I think we did a lot of great things this year, and I'm excited about next season. Trevor Williams joining me in studio. Now, your journey to this point, to me, is really interesting in that you had a really nice career at Penn State, but then you were not selected in the draft. So at that time, what was that like emotionally? Did it get you down at all, or did it only light a fire? It definitely lit a fire under me. I was very frustrated not getting drafted, no invites to the combine or even the senior bowl. I didn't get an invite for any of that. But I knew I was capable of playing in this league. And I just want to be able to prove myself. So what were you thinking? Like, what's that all about? If you had the career that you had at Penn State and you put up the numbers and the film was all there, the tape was there, when you're not getting these invites, what's going through your mind and why do you think that was? Honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you why. Um, all I could do was just control the controllable, you know, continue to work hard and perfect my craft. And once the opportunity presented itself, you know, take advantage of it. So that's what you did. In fact, you start the season on the practice squad. You work your way off of that. And then by week five of last year, you get your first game against Julio Jones and the Falcons. No problem, right? I know your teammates and coaches were impressed by how calm you were in that first game. What emotionally were you feeling in that game, though? Uh, for me, I think it was some mixed feelings, a little bit of nerves. Um, I think I was just more so anxious, more than more so than anything. But I was excited to get out there. Um, go out there with my guys and just compete. So what was it like going up against that guy? I mean, that's that's a challenge that's different than almost any other challenge for a DB, right? Julio, I mean, the guy's so big and so physical. What was your mindset going into that game in that particular challenge? Uh, when I first matched up with him, I was excited because I remember watching him in college and, you know, being in high school and just, you know, saying one day, you know, I, I, I love the chance to go against some of the best. And for me, I just think that was a great opportunity for me and, you know, I'm excited to see what, what happens in the future. Did he say anything to you? Yeah, I mean, guys like that could always, look, in your world, I would imagine guys are constantly measuring each other always, all day long. Did he say anything to you when you first lined up against him? No, nah, nothing at all. Yeah, right? Yeah. And you probably said nothing to him. No, nah, I didn't nothing say Nothing at all. Nah. <laughs> all right. So you come back to this season, and the expectations are that Jason Verrett and Casey Hayward would be the starters, but he underwent surgery, so you had to step right in. How did you go about taking on that challenge? It was unfortunate that Jason had went down. You know, I know he worked extremely hard to get back, but at the same time, I also want to prove that I can play in this league and that I can add value to the team also, and I can hold my own weight. Yeah, listen, I could ask you about the biggest challenge going from college to the NFL, but how about going from year one to year two? What's the biggest challenge then? I think for year two, for me, I think it was just, I was getting comfortable with the speed of the game. And, you know, for us, we had a whole new staff coming in, uh, a whole new defense. And I think with Gus Bradley, he did a great job keeping things simple for our defense, which allowed me to go out there and not overthink, but, you know, play faster. And, and that was very comfortable for me. Is that the thing, right? I mean, at that point when you no longer have to think, you've done the work, you've prepared, you recognize it. I mean, how much tougher is it when you're out there thinking and not just reacting and not just playing on instincts? I think you limit yourself if you're overthinking a lot. And in football, it's a kid's game. So the more you can just play football and just play fast, I think you'll be in great shape. LA Charger, Trevor Williams joining me in studio. You know, it's the time of year where guys start on their journey from college to the NFL. What kind of advice do you have for anybody who goes undrafted in April, but they don't want to give up on that dream and they know they have it? 
just continue to pray. You know, keep God first. And once you get your opportunity, you know, take advantage of it. Um, don't get discouraged. And just treat every day like a one-day contract. What do you mean by that? I like that. Every day is a one-day contract. How so? Um, regardless, if you come to practice or even in training, uh, that first day when you come out and you perform, you might have a great day. But quickly but surely, you have to eliminate that and then bring that over into the next the next day. Continue to work hard and continue to uh, take advantage of the opportunity. I can see that advice, but do you still approach it like that? I mean, you're here. You've arrived, right? Or or do you still treat it like that yourself? I, in this business, you have to because the guys upstairs, they can you know decide that they don't want to have you around the team anymore. And, you know, the next thing, you're trying to find out what's next. But for me, that's how I handle the business. I treat it every day like a one-day contract. All right, so you're going to be on your grind soon enough. I know you're not going to be in Minneapolis. You and I talked about that briefly during the break, but you know about these teams. Let me get your thoughts on Philadelphia and New England because you faced both this year. You had seven tackles and a pass defense in each game. So you had a big game in both those games. Let me start with New England. As a DB, what's the biggest challenge when you're facing Tom Brady? Uh, Tom Brady, man, he's the GOAT, man. For him, I think when you're going against the Patriots, you have to play physical fast smart all four quarters and maybe even more uh, and you have to play great situational football um but with tom brady you just gotta stay disciplined read your keys and just trust yourself it seems to me the guy not only is he like so good at what he does it's almost like he's another head coach on the field right i mean him pre-snap i mean even if you pressure this guy he is so good at getting it out quickly and making the right decisions i mean is that the bottom line get as much pressure on him as you can with as few guys as you have and then hope for the best yeah, you just gotta you gotta disrupt Tom. You know, a lot of things start with him, and he's a smart quarterback, so he'll he'll know how to adjust to certain situations. But like I say, you just gotta keep applying that pressure to Tom and make him feel uncomfortable. Right now, when you played Philadelphia, Carson Wentz was the quarterback, and now it's Nick Foles. That's the things are gonna be different, obviously. With that said, considering who the Eagle receivers are, what would concern you the most if you're a New England DB? Uh, just stay on top. You know they're going to take their shots um, with Nelson and uh, Torrey Smith, a lot of speedsters, and they even took a shot with Elshon Jeffrey last week. So as long as their DBs, Malcolm Butler um, and Morris, uh, as long as they can just stay on top and just you know read their keys and stick to their game plan, I think they'll be in great shape. Do you think they'll have those deep shots? Do you think they can beat New England deep? Um, I think it's possible, but it's a, it's a nice matchup, but I think New England will take it. Okay, I was going to say I need the prediction. Who do you like and why? What's your bottom line on that game? I'm going to go with the Patriots on this one. Um, I think they're going to be the better prepared team. And I think uh, I think it'll be a great fight all the way up to the end. I, I see it going last minute. If it goes last minute, you got to like Philadelphia or uh, New England's chances. These guys always find a way to get it done, don't they? I mean, there's something about that, that if you don't choke them out and you don't kill them while you have the chance, they're going to come back and bite you in the back. If it comes down to the last minute, you have to like the Pats. Definitely. I'm going with the Pats. All right, so before I let you go, you're in Southern California now. You played your college ball at Penn State. How do you like this SoCal lifestyle? I'm loving it. I love the weather. Um, it's it's a, lot, a lot better than you know being in the cold up in those mountains. But um, yeah, I'm definitely excited to be out here. You know, here, there was no football for two decades in Los Angeles, so the big talk was what's going to happen when it comes back, and it not only comes back, but it comes back with two teams. What's your sense of the L.A. fan base? Do you feel like they're embracing the Chargers, and are you making your mark? Uh, I sure hope so. Uh, I know it was our first year here, 
And I, I think it's still taking, you know, some baby steps for L.A. fans to get, you know, used to the Chargers. But uh, I think that just happened over time, just winning them over. But, you know, the Chargers, we're going to continue to get better and continue to head in the right direction. Trevor Williams joins me for a few more moments. Carson Deal is a different deal now, right? What was it like playing in that stadium? And early in the season, man, where opposing fans were coming over and taking over that place, what was that like? Oh, man. At the end of the day, the only people that we, you know, we carried it just in our locker room. You know, that's the only people that really matter. And we got a us-against-the-world mentality anyway. So other opposing team, fans wanted to come. You know, that was fine with us. What's that like? I don't think any, most of us have no idea what that's like. What's it like to be in a room with 52 other guys where it's just literally, literally that? You against every element. You against everything. It doesn't matter. It's us. It's the brotherhood. It's the fam. What's that feeling like? Can you put that into words? Oh, man, it's, it's, it's like a, almost a war mentality. You know, I always watch the Gladiator. Gladiator when I uh, before my games and you know is the Gladiator comes out in the Coliseum and you got a whole bunch of fans you know cheering for you and cheering against you and I think that's the mentality that we had week in and week out. Is that your go-to movie still, Gladiator? Yeah, I still watch it from time to time. Any others? Um, Friday Night Lights, Remember the Titans, a lot of sports movies. How about music? What do you have in your head before you go out there? Oh <laughs> uh, man, I, I like the Migos. Migos, uh, old Tupac, and um, yeah, I, I mix it up a lot, man. I, I play some Drake also. Good, man. I'm about the process. I'm trying to figure out what makes guys go when you got to hit that switch. You ever go to throw the switch and it doesn't go? Have you ever had that happen as an athlete? Throw the switch. You know, like it's go time. It's go time. I got to hit the field. Whatever it is you got to do, you know go time. Has there ever been go time and that light hasn't gone on? That switch hasn't gone. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, for me, no. Uh, that switch normally hits at the right time. Uh, normally, right before kickoff, you know, after the national anthem, and the, the captains go out for the coin toss. That's when the switch normally hits for me. Got one more thought for you. The fans in San Diego, they love the Chargers. You know that they love that team. That team was always there, and it hurt, man. A lot of them are not coming back. They're not coming around. I think the players are in a tough spot. I mean, you guys go where you're told to go. You got a paycheck after earn. What do you say to the San Diego Charger fans that are still hurt and can't get over it and just can't get behind the team because they feel like they had been done wrong? Um, you know, I think it's, a, you know, a bittersweet feeling. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys on the team, they miss San Diego. And, you know, I know I appreciate, you know, our fans in San Diego. And um, I don't want them to feel left out or feel like, you know, the, the, the players, you know, that we we wanted to move to LA because it's a lot of people that come up to me and they always say, "Man, why did you leave? Why did you go?" And that, that wasn't my choice, but um, like I said, I just appreciate all the San Diego love and support that we you know we still get to this day. But like I said, man, you know we love all our fans, whether in LA or San Diego. You may know this guy; he has been a Golden Ticket recipient, the subject of many other phone calls. Let's go to Buffalo. Rick is in Buffalo. It's good to have you, Rick. How are you? Thanks for the vine, Jim. I'm usually not one to make a Super Bowl prediction, but I'm so confident about what's going to happen. I got no problem going on record with it. An early New England drive is going to be extended by a bogus pass interference call, which leads to an easy touchdown. The ensuing eagle drive will stall with a phantom holding call, pinning them deep in their own end. The resulting short field will lead to another Patriots score, 
and the floodgates open from there. Thank God this will be the final go-round because we all know the hoodie's stepping down after the season just so he can laugh his ass off when the Patriots go 8-8 eight eight next year. And, Jim, I saw the video clip of Vic and No Kale's call yesterday. I felt really bad for you having to sit through those horrendous impersonations in stale takes. The pain look on your face and sympathy laugh said it all. Vic's like the old family dog who you finally got to put down. You feel terrible about it. But when all he's doing is running into walls and peeing on the carpet, there's no other choice. In the ending was really pretty sad. Vic saying he was every hostess dream. It's host dream, you loser. A hostess dream is what your chubby girlfriend has when she falls asleep every night. With that, Jim, it's time to put the final bullet in Vic and no cal. I know you're too nice to do it, so I'll gladly perform the honors. Rest in peace, Victor. That's me hanging up on Rick. Rick in Buffalo. There you go, clones. Four down, one important one to go. But you know the grind includes Friday, so let's get at it. Last show before Radio Row. Let's get it right now. Thank you for listening. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.